All right, we are in uh, really week three, I guess, is, I guess if we say it like that, if we count the, the uh, biannual meeting where I introduced this, this is week three of our first series. Last week, we, uh, we really kind of introduced this, and, and it's all built around our theme verse for the year, Matthew 633, uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added uh, as to you as well. And, and we looked last week at the relational aspect of, of living first. We talked about uh, praying first and forgiving first and believing the best first. We did that through the story of Jacob and Esau. If you didn't, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't watch last week, I encourage you this week at some point just to kind of look back online and, and catch that because it kind of gives us some foundational things as things that we're going to talk about for the rest of the year about forgiveness and, and, uh, and how we see each other and how we relate to each other, how we interact with each other. And this week, I'm just going to tell you from the jump, this week's going to be kind of hard. Uh, I knew that whenever I was preparing all this and, and kind of getting all this together, uh, really, I guess November, December of this last year, um, I, was, I knew this topic was going to be a topic that we discussed. I just didn't know it was going to come from this passage of scripture that we're going to be in. And so as I, as I wrote it out and as I got it all kind of put together, it, it, it just the harder and heavier it got. And so uh, I, I want us to think about this week serving and serving first. And you know, when we think about serving, we think about different things. Uh, we think about serving food uh, because we're Baptists and we like to eat. And so we automatically go to food first. And, and we, we talk about things like the table, which is coming up in another month or so. We'll, we'll give you some more information over that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we think about other ministries that we've done where we just serve food to people. And we can relate that back very easily to Jesus in the New Testament where he fed the 5,000, right? He didn't ask anything from those folks. He just fed them. He just gave them something to eat. And so we think about serving food. We think about serving meals. But we also think about serving on mission, right? We like to go somewhere. We like to be away from home. We like to go, whether it's to Haiti. We went to Haiti a few years. We've been to Boston a few years. Uh, we're going back to Boston this summer. And so we think about uh, going off and serving on mission, whether we're uh, painting schools in Haiti uh, or we're, you know, we're redoing a flower bed in the middle of uh, Winthrop, Massachusetts, and we're kind of getting our hands dirty on either side, or we're just talking to people. Uh, one of the greatest things that we did when we were in, in Boston was just, uh, we had a tent set up at a big community event, and we handed out cotton candy and popcorn, and, uh, and just got to talk real life things to people. People who, there was, I will never forget, there was like this 90-something-year-old man who stood the line for cotton candy. You think we were giving out gold bars. I mean, these, this line was forever long, and he was just standing in line. He was probably five foot nothing. And he waited in line for probably 30 minutes to get cotton candy. And he got up there and his face was just like, it was like a child. He said, I haven't had cotton candy in 50 years. I am so, and we just gave him cotton candy. Now, did he equate cotton candy with the love of Jesus? I hope so. You know, I hope that he put those things together. But we were just having normal conversation with people and talking about what church is and why it's important and why uh, he should understand who Jesus is. And so things like that, we, oh man, I'd love to serve on mission. That's so great. That's so much fun. We get out of our normal routine of home and we get bold and we're able to share our faith on a level like we normally don't do here. And so we think, yeah, we can do that. We can, we can connect those dots back to the Great Commission. Jesus says, therefore, go make disciples. We can go all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We love to serve on mission. And then we can even think about serving local. 
Right? We did this this last summer. Instead of being able to go because COVID still, uh, we did some serve local projects. We painted some fire hydrants. We did some things around the town uh, just to be able to say, listen, we're, we're getting our hands dirty right here where we live. Whether it's far off or if it's Boston or if it's just right here, we love to serve on mission. And then we also think about serving the church, right? Uh, I've said this for a thousand, uh, a thousand times. I'll continue to say it. The ministries of Emmanuel cannot and will not happen effectively with just your staff doing it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not able. TJ's not able. Shelton is not able. We have to have you as a church serve the church, right? Uh, the things that we do and all the different ministries and programs that we're involved in uh, doesn't happen unless you guys do it. Choir doesn't happen unless vocalists show up. Uh, orchestra doesn't happen unless instrumentalists come. Um, kids' church doesn't happen without volunteers who come and pour out of themselves and pour in to these kids. Uh, Sunday school doesn't happen without great Sunday school teachers. And so you guys serve the church. And, and so we think about these different areas and, and, and how we are supposed to be a part of that. And really what it led to me this week is that uh, I got two points. I'll just give them to you from the, from the very jump and we'll kind of talk about them. Number one is this. There's a precursor to service. There's a precursor to service that most of us wish wasn't there. Uh, we'll talk about that. But, but when we think about how do we serve, we think there's like all these rules and maybe uh, a lifestyle that we have to hit. It's not that. It's something completely different. There's a precursor service. And then secondly, rarely does God call us to serve in a focused, specific, exclusionary area. Okay, And what I mean by that is this. Some of you, I believe, are waiting for God to speak directly to your heart in a very specific manner about where you should be serving in the church. Some of you think, I got it written down, I want you to develop relationships and guide homeless mothers uh, who are between the age of 35 and 37 who live in the 1040 mission window who just recently received a re emotional support iguana and, and teach them what John means in John chapter 7 when he says, where I go, you cannot go, you're going to seek for me and not be able to find me. All the while trying to teach them how to hand knit scarves to reverse the cycle of homelessness in their communities. And you think, well, God hasn't spoken directly to me like that yet, so I just can't do anything, right? We think we've got to be so narrowed down, and that's not how God works. I mean, if I could say anything, that's not how God works. He just says serve. And you'll find areas, and you'll find ways to do that. You may not love this whole uh, going to Boston thing or going to Haiti thing. That may just scare you to death. You may not like to fly. You may not like to do all those things. That's okay. But there's other things that you can do. You go, well, I can't get out and I can't paint fire hydrant. That's okay. There's other ways for you to serve. And so when we think about these two things, these precursor to service and how God just calls us to serve, I want us to look at a really um, familiar passage of Scripture. This, as a matter of fact, this is a passage of Scripture I, I struggled with uh, coming back to this. I told you I didn't think it was going to come out of this passage because I just preached this um, maybe six, eight months ago, and I know you guys remember every word I say from the stage, and so some of you are going to be like, Matt, you got to preach something different. If you got your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to look at now, just a few uh, really interesting verses out of Isaiah that's going to call us to this thought of, of what service really looks like. Um, if you have your, if you have this kind of, as you're finding it, just think about the, the overall picture of Isaiah. Remember that Isaiah is in the southern kingdom of Judah, 
right? The northern kingdom has already been taken by the Assyrians and he's giving like a wake-up call to the southern kingdom. He's saying, listen, if we don't get our stuff together, then we're gonna end up just like them. And really he's saying, hey, we're already too late. We're gonna end up just like them. This is a really incredible uh, uh, book. And, and, and some of this uh, is, is, there's lots of talk around the book Isaiah. There's all kinds of different textual critics that get into that. We're not gonna get into that any of that this morning. Just know that this is God's word given to Isaiah and his responsibility is to share it with the people. Sometimes that's a really easy task and sometimes that's a really difficult one. And I believe what Isaiah has in front of him is a difficult one. Here's a, here's a kind of a, 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 you can kind of start from the very beginning. John, uh, Isaiah 1.1 1, 1 tells us that this is a vision. Uh, and then in verse two, it says this. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This gives us from the very big jump, this is probably not going to be a positive review of, of God's people, right? Isaiah's uh, trying to get, a, get their self to say, listen, we got to get, we got to start doing things right. The people in Judah had continually rebelled against God. They continually done the things that they know, like they know they're not supposed to do. And they continue just to do it. And at the same time, they're kind of playing at religion, they're playing at what we would consider church things. We're going we're gonna to do whatever we want to do, but we're going to come and we're going to celebrate all the festivals and we're going we're gonna to sacrifice things and we're going we're gonna to get our get out of hell free card. We're going to play at church a little bit, but we're going to continue to just live life however we want to. We're going to do the things that we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do them and not really connect anything beyond that. In our world, they're playing at church. They're, they're, just, they're just throwing God's grace and God's favor and God's blessing and they're just taking all that for granted and saying, you know what, I can live and do and make whatever decision I want to make and, and I, can, I can act like whatever I want to act like and I can go to church and I can get forgiveness and I can go on about the rest of my life living it however I want. Sounds vaguely familiar. Sounds vaguely familiar to a lot of the times the way we live our own life. And please, if you hear nothing this morning, please hear this. Don't sit back in our own self-righteousness and think, oh yeah, boy, there's some people that need to hear this message this morning. I hope they're here. Because guess what? You need to hear this message. We all need to hear this message and be confronted with our sin habits and our, and our ritualistic religion and get out of some of these modes that we get ourselves into where we think we can just do whatever we want and get forgiveness from God and then continue to do whatever we want. So hear how God speaks to them. You keep reading down in chapter one, verse 11 and 12. It says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come and appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? In other words, stop playing religious games here. Stop playing church 
games. I, tell, I said this last week in, in our Knowing Faith class. And if you're not a part of that, if you haven't done that, then you need to come tonight because we're getting into some really good stuff. Last week we talked about who God is and the divine attributes of God. We talked about the doctrine of God, which is an incredible topic, number one. But one of the divine attributes of God is that he is a say, which means he needs absolutely nothing. And he is, he's completely self-sufficient. He needs nothing to, to survive. He needs nothing from us. He needs nothing from anyone. He is all-encompassing himself and great in that. He doesn't need us to worship. He doesn't need us to pray. He doesn't need us to come to church on Sunday mornings and smile and shake hands and do all the things that we do. He doesn't need any of that stuff. We need that stuff. We need to worship. We need to pray. We need to gather together as believers. We need those things. God doesn't need anything. And sometimes we come to God and we approach like worship on Sundays and all these different things as if God needs them from us so that we can live however we want to live and then go give God our checked boxes. Oh, he needs this from me. I'm going to go, I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but then I'm going to go back and live however one. And God is saying in Isaiah chapter one, why are you living one way and then coming to church another? Why, why are you living however you want and then coming to me as if it doesn't connect? If you keep reading, it kind of hits its peak in verse 13 and 14 of chapter one. God says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. It's incredible. That should be bolded and underlined and highlighted and circled or whatever in your Bible. You need to have that in bold print. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates they have become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them this is big deal this is basically God saying stop coming to church and playing at church why are you acting this way stop participating in all the church things when you're not living them daily stop gathering together just to make yourself feel better stop bringing meaningless offerings these Feasts and festivals are, are a burden to him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God in heaven being frustrated that we gather and worship? It's a burden to me. Because our hearts aren't right. And because we're playing at things that he's pretty clear about. And here's the hard truth. I think I've even got this on the screen. We can't play at church and expect God to continue to bless us. We can't play at church and expect God to continue to bless us. We can't bring half-hearted devotion. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 says, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not gathered with me scatters. I've said this a thousand times. Half devotion is full disobedience. Half obedience is full disobedience. And the sad reality is that we play at church and we don't make Christ and our relationship with Christ a priority and we allow things that we should never allow in our lives. And we make excuses and we try to justify our behavior knowing that's not what God would want. And then, then when things fall apart and our life comes crashing down and everything spins out of control, we run back to God and we say things like, why me? 
Why, God, why does this always happen to me? And I think, I think God would sometimes look at us and go, oh, so now, now you want me when you didn't before. Now you want my involvement when you didn't before. We can't bring half-hearted worship. That's what Judah was doing. They were, they were still participating in worship. They were, they were checking off their boxes. They were getting their feel-good moments, their brownie points with God. And they were doing all the church things they were supposed to, but they were still living like their hearts weren't connected to it. And how dare we sit back and go through the motions of church and never be obedient to what God's called us to? How dare we go through the motions of devotion and never be devoted? How dare we go through the motions of worship and never really worship? Listen, this is not, this is not a worship this is not a worship series, like, hear me in that. But, but if you say things like, oh, I can't worship to that style of music or I didn't get to sing the kind of songs that I liked, then, then, then hear me, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping a preference. And those are two different things. How dare we go through the motions of worship and not truly worship? Doesn't matter what kind of songs we sing. It doesn't matter if we sing or not. Because singing is an expression of worship. It's not worship. Worship is when our hearts are fully devoted to God. It's more than just words on a screen. It's more than just giving an offering. It's more than just reading your Bible. It's more than just making morally correct decisions. This is a life devoted to worshiping the God of the universe. And I believe every action and every decision, every song that's sang to him or about him or is an expression of worship of him and it's an expression of worship to a God that's worthy of the worship that we're supposed to give. The precursor to service is a devoted heart. It's not, I've got to do this and I've got to do that, I've got to live right. I've got, no, it's just a devoted heart. It's the only thing that God asks for us to have when we serve him is just give me all of yourself. See, we like to twist it. Well, I have to know a lot of Bible before I can teach kids. Or I have to live perfectly before I can ever stand up and serve in this capacity. And that's not anything in scripture that says that. There's not a single line of scripture that says you have to have your whole life together before you can ever volunteer and be used by God. That's not what he does. Over and over again in scripture, God uses broken people and imperfect people to accomplish his big will because those people have a devoted heart. They're just willing to say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. I mean, why would you ever serve something that you don't love fully? Why would you ever serve something that you don't prioritize? Why would you serve something that you don't live? It's a devoted heart. We've got to stop. Like Judah, we have to stop playing games when it comes to God. You know what's great about this is that God just doesn't speak judgment and wrath. That's what we think of when we think sometimes of God the Father. It's his God of wrath and judgment. And he is, but he's not just that. He's a God of compassion and he's a God of mercy and he's kind. And he's, he also speaks repentance and he wants us to have right relationship. If you keep reading down just a few verses in chapter 1, God says, verse 18, Come now. 
Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red, like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. He's literally giving Judah still, even in this last moment, like in the ninth inning, he's giving them the opportunity for repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says, if he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He wants us all to come back to this point. And please don't misunderstand Isaiah 18 where he says, let's reason together. This is not like a bargaining. This is not like a compromise or a negotiation with God. This is basically God saying, let's just lay it all out on the table. Let's be real with each other. Let's stop playing games and drop the masks and drop the pretense and just be real You are in need of a savior and I have come to save. You are being disobedient and I'm asking you to be obedient. If you do what's right, you'll prosper. If you do what's wrong, you'll be devoured. This is God just saying, listen, let's lay it out. Don't you love that God's confident enough to say, prove me wrong. That's that's all he's saying here. Prove me wrong. You know I'm right. Let's Let's talk about this. Let's reason together. Let's use your brain, if nothing else. Know that the way we're living is not sustainable to what God has called us to. And if we continue to live this way and expect God to bless us, we're running ourselves into a hole. We can't play at church and expect him to continue to bless us, even with all that. God knows and we know from history because we step back and we look at the people of God and the people who are living in Judah and Jerusalem at that time and we go, how, how dumb are they? Like, why do they not get it? And we're not connecting their story and our story sometimes. We like to live like that. But we can read and we know if we, hopefully you've read your whole test, hopefully you've read your whole Bible, hopefully you've read this story, you know kind of what's going on him. And God knows that Judah wasn't gonna listen. They were gonna continue to do this religious play, and not really get real. And so for the next few chapters, God tells them what's going to happen. And it's not pretty. It says things like Jerusalem has become a harlot. It says righteousness used to dwell there, but now murderers. I will purge away your dross and remove your impurities. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled. The pride of men will be brought low. In chapter three, he says, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judea both support and supply. That's incredible. Both support and supply. I'm going to take all that away from them. He says, woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. Boys will lead men and children will govern. And he says, the women of Jerusalem, he talks a lot about the men, but he doesn't leave the women out. He says, the women of Jerusalem are haughty, not hot, as in 21st century culture, haughty, walking along with outstretched necks. Talking about their pretentiousness and their pride. One commentary I read that said that when, when uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, other cultures, the women would dance, they would dance with their heads held as high as they can and pulled all the way out to draw attention to themselves. And he tells them in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 13, therefore, because of all these things, therefore, my people will go into exile for a lack of understanding. Like no bones about it. You guys are going to be kicked out of this land. We're not pulling any punches here. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take over and you guys are going to be driven out of the land that I gave you. You're going to be 
pushed out. He goes into this short list of woes. With a woe is, you know, we read that and it's kind of weird, but a woe is, is a condition of suffering or misfortune or grief, right? He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woes to those who are heroes in drinking wine. Woe to those who deny justice for the innocent. It says, therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. So for four chapters, we have this incredible picture of what's going to happen to the people of Judah because of their lack of understanding, their lack of connecting the dots of real life and church life, of devotion and obedience. And what does God do? He chooses to use people to accomplish his will. Still, in the middle of this story, people who are willing to serve and do whatever God's asked them to do. Probably the most popular verses out of the book of Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, flip over there real fast with me. We're going to read these five verses. These are verses that you guys have heard a thousand times. You, you probably could know them and, and almost say them by heart. But I want us to see some big pictures out of this. And so let's just read it all together. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train as his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices and the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I love this passage of scripture because just like every vision of heaven, it's focused on the throne and who is seated on it. And after God gives these woes in chapter five, Isaiah has the understanding to say, woe is me. All right, God speaks from heaven and says, woe is the wicked, so woe is this and woe is that. And Isaiah says, woe is me. Like, I am ruined. One of your translations may say, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, meaning I am no different than anybody else here. I'm not better. I'm not special. I'm not, I, am, I am just as guilty as all of the, everybody else is. Isaiah has a pretty good understanding that he doesn't, he doesn't have the worthiness to be where he is. So because I preached this not long ago, I'm not going to re-preach this next passage of Scripture. You know that, that the angel comes over and grabs some tongs and grabs a coal out of the fire on the altar. And he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. This is symbolic. And it's, uh, it's also very, uh, very, very ceremonial in, in this picture. We won't get into all the, the imagery around that. Um, so the, the, the angel touches his lips. Basically says, you're cleansed as long as you're cleansed through the fire of the, the, the altar in heaven. And then something really interesting happens. And I think something that for our purpose this morning should really challenge us and hopefully break us at the same time. Verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, 
here am I, send me. That one simple verse leads me to the, probably the hardest point of this morning altogether. When we think about service and serving God, there should be no hesitation in our willingness to serve. And if there is, it's probably because our hearts are devoted to other things. When God says, who's gonna go? And Isaiah immediately says, I here I am. Send me. There was no hesitation. He didn't think. He didn't get his schedule out. He didn't pull his phone out of his pocket and go, I don't know, man. I got, next week I got this, and then we got to start tournaments this weekend, and then we got this, and we got, I don't know, family vacations coming up. I don't know what I'm going to tell my wife. I got to tell. He didn't. He just said, right here. You need somebody? I'm, I'm your guy. No hesitation. When we hesitate, knowing there's something that God's called us to, it's because our heart is devoted to something else other than to him, and we immediately say, no, no, I, I, no, we love God, we, we are all here, we're good Baptists, and we all come to church, and we love, we would never say our heart's devoted to something else. But if, if we can, just for a second, can we just be real, and know that what I'm about to say is said in love, because I love you guys, and I love this church, and you know that, if you don't know that by now, then, uh, then you don't really know me. We have an average attendance on Sundays between 200 and 300 people. Average. Before COVID, we were pushing 300, 350. Our local service projects, we had about 40 people show up to help. When we do the table or the wild game festival, about 50. We have eight to 10 nursery volunteers, about 10 kid church workers, 20 student ministry volunteers, if you exclude the kitchen helpers on Wednesday night, which are fantastic kitchen helpers, I'm not trying to exclude you. They, they're responsible for cooking the meal for all the kids that meet in the gym. If you exclude those ladies who help cook those meals, we have 10 volunteers that teach kids on Wednesday night. We've got almost 100 kids. We've got 10 adults that show up. Of our adult Sunday school teachers in a church, now listen, between 200 and 300, we have four adult Sunday school teachers. Four. And I say all this to say I'm not, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm not, I'm not trying to come down on you. I, Emmanuel's an incredible church. I brag on Emmanuel all the time. I do this all the time to as many people as I can because I believe that we are we have a kingdom impact in this community, like beyond what anybody else I believe is doing and what God is doing here. I can't begin to say thank you enough, but I believe that our strengths are also our weaknesses. That, that because we've always been a great church and people assume that other people are gonna step up and do what needs to be done, we've created this culture within our church where we're very proud of all the ministries and all the programs that we have, but we're unwilling to serve in them because we just assume that someone else is. Oh, they're fine. They don't need me to serve. And let me just tell you, the people who are serving, even in those short numbers that I just gave you, a lot of those are the same people. They're serving in this area as well, serving in this area, they're serving in this area, and they're getting burnt out. They're tired. They're coming to me going, we gotta have help. 
We need people to step up. And I'm going, I know, but we've got this culture in our church because it's so successful. They think it's fine, but it's not fine. We need people. And we become this, this consumer mentality of church where we consume all the things that church does and provides that God is blessing through, but yet we're not willing to serve and make it happen. And we've got a lot of people in the pews who don't do anything but consume church. And we say, well, I'm, I'm not good at this. Or I'm not good at that. I, I, I mean, I get it. Guess what? I, I, maybe, maybe I don't even know what was needed. Neither did Isaiah. He didn't know what he was volunteering for. He just volunteered. That's like blind obedience. That's like the, the ultimate trust fall, right? You're, you're just saying, okay, God, whatever it is, I'll, I'll do it. And you go, what if you don't like it? Well, I guess I don't like it, but I'll do it anyway. He says, listen, God says, I got a need. And Isaiah says, well, then I'll serve that. I'll, I'll feel that need. I'll do it. Whatever it is, just tell me. And when we change our perspective from I have to to I get to, then it changes our hearts and how we see things. Change it from, oh, I got to teach this class and these dumb kids. <laughs> I'm so tired. These kids are driving me nuts. I got to teach. I got to go to, I got I to go to Wednesday night because I got to teach this. And we change that to, and I get to be used by God tonight to pour into kids. God's using my presence to communicate love. God's using my willingness to teach, to invest in the lives of other people. God's using me in this area of church. See the change in that? It's no longer I got to, that God's using me. I'd do anything to be used by God. I'd bet that almost every one of us would do anything to be used by God. And it goes hand in hand when we're fully devoted our perspective is correct. When our heart is devoted, then our perspective is correct. Man, I'll do it. I'll set up cones. I'll, I'll walk people in. I'll welcome people in the front door. I'll run the sound booth. I'll, I'll do the video cameras. I'll sing in the choir. I'll teach a Sunday school class. I'll volunteer here. I'll serve in the community. I'll go to Boston. I'll, go, I'll do whatever because it's, God's using us. Well, if I'm not very good at it, I'll just be real honest. I am not, <laughs> this is awful. I don't know if I should say this. I'm not very good with kids. Okay, I've got two of my own. I love them. Uh, and because of their mom, they are who they are. Okay, I'm just not, I don't, I, when I think about children's ministry, I'm just not like, ah, children's ministry. Because I, I love, I'm going to contrast that. I love our Wednesday night adult Bible study. It's fantastic. I love the conversation that we had, the, the, the theological context that we put everything in. I love that. I love teaching students. I loved doing that. I, I taught students for 18 years of my life. Loved it. Kids ministry, I'm just like, oh, Lord Jesus. I didn't, I, I, we, <laughs> when I was the student pastor here, there were a few Sundays that, um, every year, every cycle that I wasn't in service, I was back there in the kids' church and I was helping, I was volunteering. It's like, well, listen, my kids are back here. I'll volunteer in kids' ministry. I'd go to kids' church and like, I would stand in the corner like afraid of them uh, and just hand them, like, it's like they were little wild animals. I'd throw a coloring sheet and throw some markers out on the table and be like, just don't color yourself and just go on and just let them do because the teachers are doing such a great job. There are people who just love kids' ministry and I'm, I'm great with that. But, when I became the senior pastor, well, I, could, I could float by when I was a student pastor and never deal with them. When I became the senior pastor, I knew that our kids needed a quality kids camp to go to. 
And so we found Bog Springs and we signed them up and we were needing uh, adults to go as chaperones. And my, my kids were going and I thought, well, I'll go. My kids are going, I'm going to go. Knowing that I was going to hate it. <laughs> like, this is not my thing. And, and you know what happened by the end of the week? I loved it. Not, I didn't love the, the burrito, the little frozen burrito, that they, the bog burrito. Y'all have heard us talk about that. I didn't love the food. I didn't, I didn't love sleeping on a, a mattress that was, as, I don't know, as, as thin as this. And I didn't even love having to convince a third grader to actually take a shower because he stunk. Like that's not the parts that I was like, man, sign me up again. That's awesome. Here's what I loved about it. When we got back, those boys who went would see me and they'd say, hi, Pastor Matt, and they'd give me a hug. Changed the dynamic of that relationship with those guys. We were, it was the, the October of that year. So we went in the summer. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. You guys always do a great job at that. And, and that year, some people had been dropping off some just little things by the church office for our staff. And, um, and there, was a, there was a pack, you know, those like movie candy, those little boxes. Um, there was like two things of M&Ms and a thing of Mike and Ike's. And on the Mike and Ike's, there was a note for, for, for Pastor Matt. And so we passed out the M&Ms to the other guys. And, uh, and, and the lady called me, mom called me and said, hey, those Mike and Ike's are for you. Because when we went to go pick out candy, my son said, hey, hey Pastor Matt loves Mike and Ike's. Get him those. Do you know how he knew that? Because on the way home from camp, three months previous, we shared a box of Mike and Ike's sitting in the van. He rode up front with me. I opened them up and we, we just shared Mike and Ike's. Did, did I make a major you know, Jesus impact on that kid's life that week? I, I don't know. But I made a relational impact on his life where he remembered that I liked Mike. Listen, if you guys buy me Mike and Ike's, and just, well, that's okay, whatever. But the thing is, like that moment, I was like, I love kids camp. I've gone back every year. I've gone back every year to kids camp that we've been able to go. We haven't been able to go the last two summers because of COVID, but every other year I was there and I hated every second of it while I was there, but I loved the relational aspect of it when it was over with. It made it completely worth it. I'm, I'm not a children's pastor, but I love walking into that gym on Wednesday nights and seeing that gym full of kids. I, I'm not the student pastor anymore, but every Wednesday night, before I go into the, the adult Bible study, I pull up, because we have security cameras, all, I pull up the security cameras and I just look at all those kids in that youth room. And I think, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not down there. And I think, I'm so glad Shelton is. Because we have a church that loves kids and loves students. And like, I got the benefit from that for a long time. And now other, man, it's just, it's incredible. But it doesn't happen unless we just say, here I am, I'll do it. Sheldon's got a room full of adults, volunteers down there just because they're willing to serve. We have adults who, who work in nursery and adults who run sound and adults who show up on Wednesday nights and, and practice through orchestration and all that because they're here saying, I'm, I'm here to serve. But we've got a lot of us who are not connecting the dots and we're not saying, listen, it's, it's, we've got to serve with a devoted heart and we can't say that we care about kids ministry if we don't serve in kids ministry we can't say that we care about Sunday school if we don't come to Sunday school we can't say that we care about the gospel if we don't share the gospel see how this all plays together 
It all comes underneath this umbrella of devotion and service to God. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever God tells me to do. Listen, when I surrendered to ministry, I didn't know what that looked like. I was 19 years old. I felt like God was pulling me into something in my life and I just, I went and I talked to my pastor, I talked to my student pastor and just said, listen, I don't know what this is, but I feel like God's calling me into ministry. And they're like, well, that's great. That's all, you're, that's all you need to do is you just need to be obedient to that. And I remember, I remember hardcore conversations and prayers and I could probably go back into journals that I had that said, God, I'll do anything. Please don't let it be student ministry. And God just laughed. And for 18 years of my life, I did student ministry. Because I just, I'll do whatever, God. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. So our focus for 2022 is going to be that we're going to serve first. We're going to be the first people that say, I'll do it. Something comes up, we'll do it. If something happens in our community, we're going to be there. Something goes on in somebody's life, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be there. We're going to show up, we're going to serve first. Isaiah is this perfect example of that. Here's my last thought, and I'll, I'll close this down. We have a devoted heart first. We're going to serve first. It doesn't always mean that your task is going to be easy, right? Sometimes it will, and sometimes it will not. If you know the rest of the story here, uh, let's just kind of read this quickly. This is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah just said, here I am, send me. And he said, This is God saying, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and turn and be healed. And we go, what? (laughs) Like Isaiah just volunteered and he just got handed a horrible job. Hey, go out, preach destruction, preach hard, make them hate you and make them hate the message. And then Isaiah responds with probably the greatest verse in all of the Old Testament, verse 11. How long? (laughs) Right? How long do I have to do this, God? Please tell me it's not long. And God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields unlined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And you gotta know Isaiah's going, great, that's awesome. I can't wait to be used by God. But listen, I think this is really the hook for us this morning. If if he calls you to something that's difficult or out of your comfort zone or, or, or hard, it means two things. Number one, it means that he believes you can handle it. If he calls you to something, remember last week, he's not gonna lead us to leave us. If he calls you to do something that's out of your comfort zone or, or a little bit difficult, he believes that you can handle it. And isn't it incredible? There's a shift that happens in our mind when we see that God believes in us, man, I could do anything knowing that God believes in me. Number two, it means that he's wanting to develop something in you. I'd be willing to bet that that we'd do anything if we knew that God was developing something in us. 
God, I'll do the hard things if you're working in my life. God, I'll do anything as long as you continue to work specifically in my life. So when it being hard is not an excuse to quit. Being hard is not an excuse to quit. A life devoted first. Serve first. This goes beyond the walls of our church. Serving others in your office. Serving others in your family. You're serving others in, in every instance, in every situation, in every relational thing. It's, it's others first. And our heart is to serve. And when it gets hard, because it's going to get hard. And when you feel like God's saying, man, I really should be volunteering in this area. I just don't know if I can or I don't know if I've got enough time. You volunteer and you make the time because you're living a devoted life. And then it's going to get hard. And the schedule's going to get cramped. And we have all these things that's going to come up. It's not an excuse to quit. You continue to live out of devotion to serve him first. Would you stand with me and bow your head? We're going to have TJ come and uh, have an invitation this is, a, this is an option for you to, uh, to respond to what God's calling you to do. Let's pray together as TJ sings. If you need to come forward, you come forward. If you need to just kind of devote yourself to serve, you devote yourself to serve. Don't miss an opportunity to be obedient to what God's calling you to. Remember, half obedience is full disobedience. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our heart and in our life. We thank you for using us to accomplish your will. And God, whether that's in evangelism or mission or nurseries or sound engineering or mowing the grass. God, we want to be used by you to do whatever you're asking us to do. And God, everybody has a different call on their life. Everybody is, is, is wired to do different things. But that's the greatest thing about this whole, you know us, God. And so, Father, we're just asking that we be a church that are willing to serve first. That when it comes to the ministries and the things that we do from from. Uh, local to national to international, God, that we would be willing to say, whatever you call us to, God, we'll do it. And that's not just the church cry, that's the members of the church's cry. So, Father, this morning, maybe this has hit a, a, a nerve or maybe just a, a vein in us that says, you know what, I'm not. Maybe I'm a consumer and I'm not a server. just reminded of Jesus, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son of God, who could have sat back and allowed all these things to be given to him. He got down on his hands and knees and he washed feet and he touched sick people. And he ate with people who were social outcasts. He served us. If 
Father, maybe this morning there's people here who just say, I want to be a part of a church that's a serving church. And maybe they're ready to join. Maybe they're ready to talk about what it means to be saved. Why would their devoted heart would be devoted to God than other things? Maybe those are all question marks that they have. But Father, in this moment, we're asking you to be real to us, to call us to deeper devotion and obedience and help our church life not be so counter to our outside of church. Like it's all the same, that we're the same person here that we are when we're out, that we're connected religious things and church things to our daily life things because they're all just things that are devoted to you. God, we give you the next few moments just allow us to respond to the truth of your word. Help us to do that without hesitation like Isaiah.